eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome to the Austin Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is with me as always. And on today's show, what are the burning questions we have regarding the Oregon football team going into the 2020 football season? What are the biggest questions? What are the biggest concerns that we have surrounding this football program that's going to be, quite honestly, probably the Pac-12 favorites. There are a couple of them that are very important. We're going to discuss these, maybe have some answers if we can find them on today's show. But before we do, I want to remind anyone out there that's not a a VIP member uh, to the DuckTerritory.com community, you can join today for $1 for your first month, or if you want to go and save a huge chunk of change, you can get 50% off an annual membership 50% 50% off is a huge savings. Uh, it's going to be billed out, I believe, just just over 50 bucks, $53.70, your one-time payment for an entire year of VIP membership. Uh, compare that to the month-to-month, you're paying $9.95 per month. Uh, and if, if you wanted to extrapolate out the, 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 month, the annual membership across 12 months, you're paying $4.48. So you're, you're saving a huge chunk of money by going the annual route. Highly encourage you guys to check that out. That promo will be gone in the very near future, uh, probably by the month of July. So if, if you're listening to this and it's sometime during the end of June, June 29th or June 30th, you still got time to take advantage of this huge promo, 50% off annual VIP membership. All right, Eric, let's, let's start off with Oregon football. We're going to discuss some of these burning questions we have coming into things um coming into the the 2020 football season and and let's preface this by saying we're not going to discuss covid we're not going to discuss the ramifications of what could happen here because i think we all kind of know like what one of the biggest questions is what happens if a couple players get you know they test positive what happens if a coach tests positive how is that going to impact things we don't need to we don't need to debate that everyone kind of knows those questions. We're strictly talking on field questions we have going into the 2020 football season. Um, I will open things up first. I think this is one in which you love discussing and writing these on duckterritory.com every year. And I think this is right up your alley. So we've, we've got a, a lot of positions. I shouldn't say a lot, but they're, there are some key battles that are going to play out for position battles during fall camp, whenever that starts. And some big names have to be replaced. Justin Herbert, quarterback, obviously. Um, we've got a quarterback battle between Tyler Shuck and Anthony Brown. We've got, does a freshman 
push his way into that discussion. We've also got the replacement uh, battle for Troy Dye, the four-year starter at, at inside linebacker for the Ducks, you know, the heart and soul of this team. Who, who replaces Troy Dye? We, we have to see um, four offensive linemen play out, you know, new starters there. There's going to be a ton of position battles across offense and defense. What's the one – that you're most excited to play at? Maybe it's not the most hotly contested or, or the most discussed about, but could have sneaky ramifications on Oregon's overall success. For you, what's the most important position battle uh, you're excited to see play out? It's a good one, Matt. And they're, like you said, you ran through a lot of them. There are like a dozen, probably more than that, legitimate position battles where, where you could see somebody start or you could see a different player start. And, and I think – I think you want to. I think I start probably at quarterback. I think I legitimately haven't covered a real quarterback competition during a fall camp period while covering Oregon that I remember, and that's over two stints: one with E Duck back in the early part of this decade, um, and I think Marcus, Marcus Mariota was already entrenched in the starting lineup when I started doing that, and then this most recent one, Justin Herbert was already entrenched into it. So, personal on a personal basis, I'm, I'm just excited to see two quarterbacks. That a lot. And I think Tyler Shuck in particular is somebody that we've heard so much positive things about. We've seen him look really, really good in the spring game and in the limited action we've seen in actual games. I've been impressed when we get opportunity in open practices, but I just want to see what it looks like when it's, you know, what it, what it looks like when he knows this is his job to, to win or lose. Um, how does he handle that? And I think we're going to learn a lot about this team based upon what happens at the quarterback position because. I don't know. I think if Tyler Shuck is unable to win this job, and I think we both think he probably will end up being the quarterback, but if he doesn't win this job and it's Anthony Brown, I think that maybe to me is a little bit concerning about the future of that quarterback position going forward. So I think we learn a lot because Brown obviously hasn't come back for 2021. I think we learn a lot, not only just for 2020 with that quarterback battle, um, but also going forward because if, if Brown beats out Shuck for 2020, which again, it's possible, you, end, you have another quarterback competition the following year, um, which I don't know. I don't know if that's exactly what you were hoping to get out of this whole situation. At the same time, um, if Brown's a quarterback, he means he's probably pretty good. So I think I start there. I think the other one that popped into my head is just what happens in the secondary, um, both that safety um, and then figuring out a role for Mikhail Wright. I think those are, the, those are the things that I think are really interesting. We know that secondary is extremely talented. There's five starting spots available. It really feels like there are five – starting spots and like eight or nine guys that are talented enough to be starters at those spots. So um, there are going to be ongoing position battles at safety. I think Javon Holland's got it locked down at nickel. I think Mikhail Wright could challenge possibly to start this year. So I, I think qu quarterback and cornerback for me are probably the two position battles that I'm most excited to watch. And like Matt said before, there's a lot to pick from as well. What if, what about tight end? I feel like there's two positions that are, I, I, I'm not going to sit here and say the winner could dictate Oregon getting to, you know, the college football playoff or not. But right. um, two other ones in my mind that I had tight end. Mm -hmm. um, it feels like there could be five different starters at that position. Like yeah. uh, in terms of just pure competitiveness and let's not discuss, you know, the tight end position isn't going to make or break Oregon's, I think, you know, championship run in the Pac-12 or, or to get to the college football playoff. Um, but 
just pure competitiveness, uh, that's one that just is, is really going to be fun to watch because you've got Hunter Campmore coming back as a senior, probably the guy that, that has the most experience, but you have Cam McCormick who's now healthy and, <laughs> or at least reportedly healthy and yeah. is the most talented, but can't, hasn't been able to stay healthy the last two seasons. You have Spencer Webb, a guy where we look at it and be like, this is a guy who has all the tools. He just needs to consi- you know, get the consistency down and he could become a superstar. Patrick Herbert is a player that we're like, okay, this is a, this is a dude where he probably has the physical makeup to, to play right away. Um, what, what can Patrick Herbert do now that he's had a year in the system and get, to get bigger, faster, stronger, what, what have you? And then DJ Johnson is just the, you know, a complete wild card, you know, uber athlete, but change positions from defensive end to tight end. How, how does he factor into this? Um, really feels like that one could go in a whole bunch of different directions. Uh, and then the other one I have is outside linebacker. And to, to a degree, two players. What are we going to see between Mace Funa, a guy that really has kind of solidified himself, I think, uh, as someone who's going to be a starter at, at kind of that drop-end outside linebacker position that Oregon uses. Um, and then the guy that's, I think, maybe flown under the radar the most, and that's Adrian Jackson, someone that has absolutely just flown under the radar, was supposed to be a starter going into this, you know, this, this past season and just simply didn't because he got hurt. And I don't know if people are, are remembering that, that he was projected to be a starter, was a four-star linebacker coming out of high school. I don't look at, I look at Adrian Jackson and think he could play that stud position and, and he could maybe wrestle it away from Funa now that he's healthy. All right, let me flip on back at you, Matt. It's kind of similar here. Which position on offense makes you most nervous for the 2020 season? I know you just ran through tight end, but is that a position that makes you nervous or is there another area that really worries you there? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty worried about the offensive line. Yeah. And not because I don't, I don't doubt their talent. I don't doubt uh, the depth that they have at the position. But when you have to replace four starters along the offensive line, that can lead to some – very rocky, bumpy roads, choppy waters, whatever you want to metaphor you want to use. Um, I just wonder, I'm sitting here thinking what, what happens if this group doesn't gel a hundred percent for the first two thirds of the season? Like how big of an impact is that going to play? Will the quarterback be able to, 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 you know, get himself away from pressure. Does that, if, if Oregon can't, if Oregon can say, Hey, look, we can consistently block for about two and a half seconds. But after that, we, we can't. And just because of the, the new, you know, the new, the new faces up front and they need time to gel. They need to, they need to adjust, especially with COVID and everything that's happened here. Um, leading up to, you know, elimination of spring practice and, and whatnot. Um, Maybe they, maybe Oregon's coaches decide. You know what? We need a little bit more mobile of a quarterback. And so, even though we think Tyler Shuck is the better passer, he's maybe not as quick of foot as Anthony Brown is. Um, or, or maybe Tyler Shuck is quicker than Anthony Brown. But 
but Anthony Brown's a better thrower than Tyler Shuck is. Um, but he needs time to, to, you know, get his, his, his bearings and um, needs time to, to let the, 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 the play play itself out. And so you, you need a quarterback that's more mobile because you're not going to be able to have a clean pocket. Um, that, could, that could impact the quarterback battle. It, what happens at running back if you can't run? Does Oregon have someone on the roster? Is C.J. Verdell or Travis Dye or Cyrus Abilakio, are they, are they capable of kind of creating something out of nothing on a consistent basis? I don't know. Um, I, I think a lot of Oregon's success in 2020 offensively is going to depend on how quickly Oregon's offensive line gels and gets into, into form. I think it will at some point. My, my question going into 2020 is how long is that going to take, especially when you didn't have 11 of the 15 spring football practices that you were going to get when you're adding a new offensive coordinator, uh, you've got a new receivers coach, you've got a new quarterbacks coach. Uh, there's a lot of newness within Oregon's offense and you're, yes, you have the best player at the position in Panay Sewell, but you still have to replace four starters along the offensive line. And that's kind of scary. The other thing, it's not just that you're re- replacing four starters is the players that will be replacing them are going to have almost no experience um, right. across the board uh, at this level. Stephen Jones has one start. That's the only other player with any start. And that was in a, he, I think he replaced Calvin Throckmorton at right tackle for a game because Jake Hansen was suspended for the, the first half against Utah. And I'm pretty sure that was either that or, or maybe Hansen had an injury, but that, that's the only starting experience they have up front on the offensive line outside of Penny Sewell. Uh, the rest of the players will be making their first starts. A lot of them really haven't played significant snaps, period. Um, I think Alex Forsyth got in a little bit, but not probably in any game or moment that was particularly significant last season. And the same could be said for uh, Malasala Amavelalu, who, who redshirted last year. And then, of course, Sam Patasi, TJ Bass, a couple guys at left guard, no experience playing really at this level either. So, yeah, it's it's. I think that's a good pick, and, and probably where I would have landed too. Um, just regarding kind of the question marks there, I think you also have to realize that there is room for there to be some optimism, considering that the head coach of the the team is is arguably the best offensive line coach in the country, and, and he always seems to get things right. But I do think there is reason to be pretty concerned um, about the offensive line. Let's stay here with the offensive line for a second. My. The offensive line obviously has four starters that are gone. What's your level of concern, though, that this gets figured out? Like, do you think – what's kind of the timeline that you're thinking that this group kind of plays into form? And what's maybe the potential of this group, though? Like, do you, do you feel like – is it fair to assume that this group could be better than what we've seen the last two seasons when Panay Sewell was operating with the now four departed – offensive lineman can this can the 2020 version be better than 2019 or 2018 when they're healthy I'm gonna say this I and I mentioned I kind of teased a little bit a second ago about when you have a coach like Mario Cristobal who's your head coach who has the history and the reputation as an offensive line guru really over the last couple of decades I my concern is never that great I'll be honest. You know, if, if this was a different head coach or just a different staff in general, I think I'd be pretty concerned when you lose four offensive line starters and, and really only one other, you know, one of the other players, you know, that was returning has starting experience. I think that's concerning. But again, this is Mario Cristobal. We know what he can do. Um, and I think I'll be honest, I'm not going to be stunned like at all if 
by week nine, 10 of the season, like things are really working at a high, at a high level. Um, and maybe that's even too late. I mean, maybe it's week six or seven, maybe it's the midpoint of the season that things are kind of figuring themselves out. Um, because I just think there's too much talent up front there. I mean, everybody that's con- competing for starting reps were, were either four-star recruits or really hi- highly rated junior college recruits. Um, and, and junior college recruits typically don't get that four-star ranking. You look at TJ Vass and, and Malasala Amavelalu. I know they're both top-rated at their position coming out of JUCO, but I, I'm pretty sure Bass was still a three-star. But those, these are highly regarded players across the board. And um, I just think there's a lot of talent there. We talked a lot about Stephen Jones' upside as a potential NFL player. I think that's pretty evident when, when you just – honestly, just by looking at him physically and, and watching him go through drills. So I think the talent is absolutely there for this group to, to maybe even be better than last year's group. But I'm with you, Matt, in terms of I think it could be shaky a little bit early on. And I think it could be one of those things where if Oregon slips up a couple of times in non-conference play, maybe a couple is too much because I don't think they're going to lose the opener, even though I think that game's going to be a lot more competitive than people are, are kind of assuming it will be. Um, I mean, they've won like 37 straight games coming in. But if they slip up against Ohio State, it could be a scenario where if it's a close game where you look at it and go, man, if that offensive line group would have just gelled a little bit more quickly – and been playing like they are now, you know, late in the season, that game could have gone a little different. I could see that being a way we look back at that Ohio State game if, if indeed Oregon does drop that game. Like if it's a three to seven to ten point loss and it's close and it was just Ohio State getting crazy pressure on Oregon's quarterback and blowing everything up in the backfield. And then six, seven weeks later, the offensive line is, you know, like they were this last year winning regular Pac-12 offensive linemen of the, of the week awards and all sorts of stuff like that we could be looking back on like, man, what if this group could have gelled a little quicker? But again, that's part of the way this, the schedule aligns itself. And that's the circumstance organs in, but I do think the upside is extremely high for later in the season. Yeah. I, I don't have a doubt that this group will get it figured out. And if it happens early, this group could put up some pretty impressive numbers for whoever is running the football and whoever is throwing the, the football for Oregon. Um, I think there's going to be a ton of discussion all fall camp and early on in the season, just kind of who, how does this group shake out and how quickly can they gel? Because I'm with you. It could impact things early, but if if they get things rolling up front and I mean, are you going to doubt Mario Cristobal and Alex Mirabal? Eric, I mean, I don't think there's a reason to knowing what we've seen the last couple of seasons overall though I just look at this group and just think they'll get things figured out it's just a matter of when not if for me um sounds like you're kind of in the same boat as well all right let's let's take a quick break um you're listening to the Otson Audible's podcast this episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is with me as always. And we're just discussing some of the biggest question marks we have going into the 2020 football season, the start of training camp, which is going to begin the first full week of August. Players will report a little bit before that. About a month or so from now, you know, walkthroughs and you know, team meetings and film sessions and all that will, will begin. But actual training camp where they're out on the field together with with footballs and, you know, actually doing full practice that starts the first week in August. So we're you know, getting, we're starting to ramp up our preseason coverage. We're discussing, you know, some of the burning questions we have going into this football season, uh, three in three more to go. All right, Matt, um, who would you consider to be Mario Cristobal's best hire to date? And I guess let's take the two recent hires. I, I guess actually it's three this off season of those three guys, is there one of them that you think we could be talking about after the season and saying maybe they're ahead of who your pick would be right now? I think Moorhead is probably the most impressive of the three. Um, and that, that the three that, that have been hired this offseason are Joe Moorhead, the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach for the Ducks. He replaces Marcus Arroyo. And then Rod Chance, was hired to coach the cornerbacks and he replaced Dante Williams who left to go to the same position at USC. And then we also have seen Cristobal hire Brian McClendon, a receivers coach who previously was at South Carolina. He replaces um, Jovan Boatnight who mutually parted ways with Oregon. um, And he has since landed at Kentucky and I think McClendon is viewed as a good position coach while also being viewed as, I don't want to say super recruiter, but someone that's got really strong ties in the recruiting world as one of the better coaches out there on the, on the recruiting trail. And I mean, he has helped Oregon land Troy Franklin. I mean, Oregon staff as a whole has done a really good job with Troy Franklin, but, he showed up and helped there. Um, he's helping with Dante Thornton. He's helping with a lot of players in the 2022 class, in particular in the southeast region of the of the United States. So I think that helps there. But I'm going to go with Joe Moorhead of, the, of those three just because you get a guy who was a head coach at his previous stop. Granted, he didn't choose to leave Mississippi State on his own will. He, he got fired. Um, but I think you would – win a battle, you know, basically across the country. If you, if you spoke about that, Moorhead probably shouldn't have been fired um, at Mississippi state. And so you're getting a guy that has a really strong reputation offensively everywhere he's gone. Their offenses have put up good numbers. His system has kind of changed from, you know, spot to spot. There's been some tweaks, some, some, some systems are are similar um, to others. You know, others are, are quite different. Um, from his times at, at UConn and Fordham and 
Penn State and Mississippi State and and now with with Oregon um, he's kind of always kind of adapted to who who he has but I think you look at that and think if if you look at Oregon staff and say who who's the coach most likely to become a head coach in the very near future I, I think I'm going to speak for you Eric maybe I'm wrong and guessing where you lean but I think you would you would agree with me that saying it's Joe Moorhead right I think absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it's, but there, I mean, his history has been really impressive. And I know we, you mentioned he was fired from his last spot, but you listen to him talk and, and you see just the numbers he had, I think, especially at Penn state. And to me, it's almost like, yeah, this, this guy should. And, and of course he's up against some unexpected difficulty given the COVID and, and how that impacted the installation portion of this. But my optimism is, remains very, very high for him, as it does for the other hires this offseason, honestly. I mean, I think Oregon's success on the recruiting trail, um, you know, I, I, I don't know what it looks like if they make different hires than they did, but I think Brian McClendon has been really significant in that. And I think Rod Chance has done a really good job in short order of, of you know, kind of figuring out what he's looking for at corner and, and targeting guys and now landing three commitments. So, um, I think it's a great offseason for Mario in terms of the hires he's made so far. And, of course, we want to watch them, them play games and then see how the, the skill development part of it works out. But uh, I think from my perspective initially, I think it's three really good hires and, and three hires that I think are going to pay dividends immediately and then also down the line, um, depending upon how long these these coaches stay in Eugene. I, I do argue, though, that I think Andy Avalos could have a bigger impact on – from from Crystal Ball's hiring of, of all the coaches he's hired yeah. over Joe Moorhead, um, and the reason I say that is because we've already seen results from Andy Avalos, while we haven't seen results with Joe Moorhead. Whether that's fair or not, because a games haven't been played and spring football was eliminated basically for so you know Oregon's offense could be a little bit behind schedule per se, if you will. Right. Um, but seeing what Andy Avalos did in year one of a defense in 2019 that granted he inherited a very experienced group um, on, on that side of the football and plugged in a very few select group of, you know, plug and play freshman newcomer type guys into the unit, but seeing what they turned into in 2019 and what they're trending to become in 2020 uh, is pretty remarkable. And that kind of segues um, into my next question for you is Troy Dye has led this team in tackles the last four seasons. He's been essentially the on and off the field leader during that same span. Um, he's going to go down as one of the greatest players to play out of Oregon football um, yep. in program history. Who steps into his role? I think that is a huge maybe the only question that we have about this defense in that who replaces Troy Dye in, in 2020 and everything he brought from a leadership, you know, mentality as well and a cultural mentality. Cause he, he's more than just a player. I mean, he was, he was a huge voice within that program. Yeah. I think from a leadership perspective, my answer might be different than from a, leading the team in tackles perspective and, and kind of being that leader at linebacker. Cause I, I think the two vocal off the field leaders on that defense, and actually maybe there's a third, um, but I think Javon Holland and Thomas Graham 
are, are two people that, and Graham in particular, when you speak with him, you can you see that leadership qualities, and I think you see that when you watch how he inter- interacts with his teammates in practice and, and on the field as well. Um, and Javon Holland, similarly, I mean, Holland is only going to be a true junior this year, but um, I think he's somebody that clearly shows leadership skills on and off the field. Um, and, and then from a linebacker position, if we're talking about like who's going to lead the team in tackles, Matt, and I don't know if that was the total tenor of the question, but I'll answer it that way too. Um, because Troy Dye is the only player in school history to lead the team in tackles for four straight years. You have to go back to the 2015 season when DeForest Buckner led the team in tackles um, to find the first year that somebody different was leading the team in that, in that stat. So I think the two players there um, in my mind, are, actually I'm going to say three because I'm going to, I'm going to throw the wild card in here. I could see Justin Flo stepping in and filling in some of the, the physical stuff that Troy Dad did. I'm not expecting him to come in and bring those intangibles that we were talking about earlier, like lead, you know, a leader on and off the feeling that's a lot to ask this early on. Um, from somebody, but I could see him sneakily possibly leading the team in tackles. But my other picks would be Javon Holland again. He was second to die last year in tackles with 66. Um, I think he's really improved in that area. And to make that many tackles from the nickel spot is, is pretty impressive. And then I think Isaac Slade, Mateo Atia is another player who has a really good chance, not only in terms of the tackle, but to kind of take over a leadership role from that linebacker group. Because you think about who's in that group now, um, without Diane Young, it, it, he is the most veteran, experienced player really in that group right now. Um, he's going to be probably surrounded by a true sophomore or a true freshman in Mace Funa at, at, you know, at the stud and probably maybe Flo or Sewell or, or maybe Samson who could, could win that spot next to him. Um, I just think that gives him an opportunity, A, to be really impactful on the field with the tackle number, to maybe lead the team in tackles again, because he had 62 last year, which was tied for fourth on the team. Um, but also as somebody who could develop into kind of a leader of that group, just based upon his age. I, and, I, and again, again, with Isaac, I don't know his leadership uh, capabilities quite as well because it was pretty clear watching him last year that this was kind of Troy's group, not kind of, this was Troy's group. I mean, he's the leader of that defense. Um, so maybe that'll be something that we get to watch unfold over the course of, of fall camp and the season. But I think Slade Matautia, in fact, I ranked, I just did a top linebacker rankings um, for the past 10 years for, for uh, individual seasons. And I had um, Slade Matautia's 2019 season, the last year, um, as the 10th best linebacker season of the last 10 seasons. So I'm very high on what he can provide. And, and I think he's got an opportunity as a junior to really step it up. Yeah. I, I remember leading up to the Rose Bowl, I was talking with a lot of the players and coaches on some stuff that we were writing after the season was completely over with. And right. I was talking about like, I was talking to, to Troy and to Ken Wilson, the linebacker coach, you know, about the departure of Troy and who steps into his shoes as that leader. And both guys, without a doubt, pointed to Isaac, Isaac Slade, and said that he has gone overlooked the last two seasons because he's had to play opposite Troy Dye. And that's no, you know, it's no excuse, but you only can have so many superstar players and we look at Troy Dye and we saw superstar production, superstar leadership, but both guys said that Isaac is, is poised for a huge junior season in 2020 and someone that will become a household name, not only just among Oregon fans, but fans that, that watch PAC 12 football and potentially maybe even the country just because he's, he's waited his turn and, um, he will now step into a role that's 
he's better prepared for it than when, when he arrived because he's worked under Troy Dye and he started opposite Troy Dye this past season. So that's a good, I think that's a good pick. And um, I do agree also about Flo and Sewell. Um, both those guys are just, sometimes you, you see players step into programs and just change the culture right away because of their talent, because of, their, their physical skills and, you know, their, their leadership skills. I mean, we saw that with Dylan Brooks from the men's basketball team yeah. uh, a couple of years ago. We saw that with Sabrina and Escu this, you know, last four seasons for women's basketball. Um, I, I, I think we could see that with Flo and Sewell and that they are physically different than every other player on Oregon's roster at inside linebacker. Their talent is immense, and if they can step on the floor or step on the field and kind of command the respect right away, and not and, and do it in a, in the proper channels, but if they can if they can kind of assume early leadership roles and have the work ethic to back it up, have the production to back it up, and have the leadership to back it up, we could really see those two guys really just blow up in terms of on and off the field leadership. All right. Our last question here, Matt, I'm realizing this is kind of like a pretty easy layup for you here. So I'm, I'm going to be John Stockton. You can be Carmel I'll just dish it to you okay. here. Are, are you expecting this defense in 2020 to be the best you've covered? And I know you've covered close to a dozen Oregon defenses now, maybe, maybe even more. I don't recall exactly when you started, but did this defense feels different and special. And I guess you maybe put it into perspective from, your point of view, having now been around this program for so long, I guess, correct me if I'm right, right or wrong at first, this is probably the best defense you've seen. And if it is that, that way, is it by a significant margin? Because personally, I could see this being a thing where we look at it after the season and go, boy, that might have been the best defense Oregon's ever had, period. Yeah, this is a – I've covered Oregon football since the 2009 season. So what, this is going to be my 12th year, I think. Um 11th year. I'm terrible at math. And this is really bad of embarrassing me of discussing this on air, trying to do math while talking. Um, Nonetheless, I, I think, yeah, this, this defense goes into the season with the chance of being the best that I've covered. Um, Is it going to be the best defense in Oregon history? Um, I mean, I, I remember growing up, I think a lot of older fans will immediately point to gang green, the 94 defense, um, I think the 95 defense was also in particular very good. Uh, and then we saw a little bit of a drop-off. And, and it, I remember growing up watching Oregon football in the mid to late 90s, early 2000s, that it was always an offensive program, a team that you know, it was always kind of, well, can, can Oregon's offense score you know, 30 or more points per game because their defense is going to allow 24 points? And, you know, it was always a case in which – you really, you know, not breaking news here, but you have to score more points than you give up to, to win a football game. But it was kind of like your offense has to be really good because Oregon's defense is, is just okay. You know, they never really had a true elite defense. And they had some blips. You know, I think the 2001 team was really good defensively, but no team, you know, until the 2010s or so had guys on defense – had multiple players where you felt like physically they were just imposing and they were special from a national perspective. They had blips, you know, Haloti Nada, um, Igor Oshansky, 
uh, ironically enough, they were, you know, really close to each other. Um, they had some guys that, that showed up, and I, I'm sure I'm going to miss a couple, but they had some guys in the early 2000s and beforehand where you were like, yeah, that guy is special. But they didn't have multiple guys at the same time. Like this defense, I feel like Kayvon Thibodeau is a potential number one draft pick overall, not just first round, just overall. I think Javon Holland's a number one draft is is a first round draft pick. I I think you look at a, a player like Justin Flo and Dante Manning and Noah Sewell, even though that they are 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 true freshmen, they haven't played a single down yet for Oregon football. I think you can look at all three of those guys and say there's probably a better chance that they're a first round draft pick going into their careers than them not being drafted. Um, I. Or, or even being like a, a, a day three selection. I would, I would bet that those three guys are, are first-round picks uh, opposed to being day three picks. Um, Michael Wright, Mace Funa, two other guys that I think could potentially turn themselves into first-round draft pick selections. There's Thomas Graham or Diamond Lenore. You know, do they elevate their standard from being a, a round two, early round three player to a late first-round draft pick? This defense has a ton of dudes across all three levels, defensive line, linebacker, secondary. I'm all in on this group, along with Andy Avalos. The group's all back, essentially, but Troy Dye from last season. They Eight out of 11 starters are, are back, and the, the guys that they lost last season, uh, Gus Cumberlander, Bryson Young, um, Lamar Winston. Um, some of these guys started games. Some of them started half the year, but I don't know if if you can realistically say that any of one, any of them outside of Troy Die were a consistent full time starter every single year for multiple seasons. So a lot of the talent is back. They've got an elite, you know, defensive coordinator. I'm all in. I think this is the best defense that I will have covered in my years of covering Oregon football since the 2009 season. Um, my question though becomes, is this going to be the best defense nationally? Like I can't wrap my head around that. And maybe it's, it's bad that I, I can't because I've so trained, so conditioned to look at Oregon football as this is an offensive fire, you know, you know juggernaut every year. That's the standard but can they also be known as a defensive school? Like that's just never complied to me. And we're, we're getting to that point. I'm going to guess there's going to be resistance nationally there. Even if Oregon statistically appears to be the best defense, people will say, well, statistically they're the best, but oh, they're playing Pac-12 schools, even though they would have a game with Ohio State um, in there and a game against obviously North Dakota State in there. So um, I, I think there is going to be some resistance to that. I think people still see Oregon, even like last year, when anybody who watched Oregon frequently knew that the defense was the better of the two sides of the football. I mean, obviously everybody's excited because Justin Herbert's a top 10 draft choice and there's some talent on offense and an offensive line and Penny Sewell. But anybody who watched them regularly knew that was a defensive-minded team. E- even there, I think nationally, there was still uh, uh, some reluctancy to acknowledge that. And I think people still see Oregon as such an offensive-minded you know, program. I could see this really being the year that that can that really starts to take some change and, and starts to formate, you know, in a way where Oregon is considered a really, really good defensive team. But I don't know if I think it's gonna be hard for people, especially analysts nationally, to to ever really feel comfortable, at least not right now, 
with saying this is the best defense nationally unless they go out and they maybe win a college football playoff or they win a Rose Bowl and just shut out a juggernaut offense um, in doing so. Um, I, I think that there's going to be some resistance to that concept, but I don't necessarily disagree with the concept that in theory, Oregon could have a top or one of the top defenses nationally, maybe even the best. What do you think it's going to require for the nat- you know, from a national perspective that to happen? Like part of me wonders, is it because they're playing in the Pac-12 and just their Pac-12 reputation, no one's going to come out and, and say that this is the best defense because they play in the Pac-12? That's exactly my thought. And, and I, my th- I think the things that are going to be key, they have to be really good in those first two non-conference games. And honestly, they probably need to be, end really good against Hawaii. I think they have to look really good in those three games. Um, that Ohio State game in particular, like if so much of the national perception on a, on a team like Oregon for people, you know, east of the Mississippi is based on these like marquee non-conference games. So like last year's game against Auburn was for a lot of people, maybe the only Oregon game they watched or one of the few Oregon games they watched you know, over the course of a season, I think that Ohio State game, they have to show up. And even if they lose that game, but if it's like a 24-21 game and it's just a bloodbath defensively and Oregon is, you know, trading blows with the Buckeyes, I think that's going to earn a lot. And then over the course of the season, if the numbers in Pac-12 play are really, really good once again, people can say, well, they performed really good against Ohio State. You might have arguably the best offense in the country, certainly in that discussion. Um, with everything they have coming back. I know Clemson also brings a ton back, but there might be that kind of understanding of what Ohio State is. And if Oregon can kind of trade blows with that offense, I think that would go a huge way in kind of building that rep- you know, that representation nationally. Yeah, that's certainly going to be one of the bigger questions. I think o- overlaying themes of the entire 2020 football season is just how good is this Oregon defense going to be from a national perspective? And you're right, the, the first three games, especially the Ohio State game, is going to have a huge piece on that narrative of how good this team is. Like Oregon could lose that game to Ohio state, but if, what if it's a a game in which it, you know, Oregon loses like, let's say 16 to seven, you know, 16 to three or 16 to zero even, or, or 10 to zero where it's Oregon doesn't score or, or Oregon doesn't put up a lot of offensive firepower, but Ohio state doesn't either and then Ohio State goes on to just steamroll everybody else that they play that's a scenario in which Oregon loses the game but Oregon's defense creates a ton of cachet or goodwill towards their name because of how they handled the Ohio State team all right that's gonna do it for us here on this Monday edition of the Ots and Audibles podcast thank you for listening We'll continue to do these throughout the next couple of weeks leading up to the college football season, discuss more and more college football and what's on the plate, what's our concerns, what's happening from an on-field perspective as the Ducks ramp up and get ready for the 2020 football season. For Eric Scopel, I'm Matt Frame. We'll talk to you later. Talk to you later, fellas. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. 
We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.